Hello, I'm Dana Rizzo, your door-to-door storyteller, and I'd like to give you a story. This story is called The Final Cadence by Gretelyn Darkey. Is this how you found the body, Miss Lee? The chief inspector asked. Yes, the dark-haired girl answered. She was pale, but composed. Hmm. The inspector walked around from behind the dead man's chair. The big, white-haired, leonine head was thrust back, the mouth gaping in a silent roar, the bullet hole in the forehead looking like a third, wide eye between the two blue, unblinking orbs on either side. Yes, the inspector noted. I can see why you screamed. The girl flushed, but said nothing. Cool customer, the inspector thought. What was the time, approximately, when you found him, he asked. About three in the afternoon, or a little after. We were waiting tea for him. That's why I came in here. Mr. Adamance is never late for tea. And what time was that exactly? It was between 3.15 and 3.20. I know, because I waited till then to go and call him. Yes. The inspector pursed his lips. Thank you, Miss Lee. Can you please send in Mr. Dawson? Janet Lee nodded and stepped noiselessly out of the room. As Mr. Dawson entered, the inspector saw the young man try in vain to talk to the lady as she passed him. I don't blame you, my lad, the inspector thought. Damn pretty girl. You don't seem lucky, though. Jack Dawson entered, glanced at the corpse, and shuddered. Why in the hell do we have to talk in here, he asked. Call it a social experiment, the inspector said. Well, it's nasty, the young man exclaimed. Poor Uncle Jacob sitting there like a beached fish while we all talk times and motives right over his dead head. And where were you this afternoon, Mr. Dawson? Jack took one last look at the body, then leaned against the doorpost and sighed. Well, after lunch, a time please, Mr. Dawson? Sure, let's see. It was probably around 1.30 in the afternoon. I went into the front room to play the piano. It's been raining for days, see, or I might have gone outside. The inspector looked at the young man. Were you alone? Yes, I was, Jack looked defiant. But I'm sure everyone in the house could hear me. It's a baby grand and I had the lid raised. I see. And you played for... at least an hour. Then people started coming into the room for tea. But you didn't have tea? No, we didn't. Is that all you wanted to know, Inspector? One last thing, the Inspector looked toward the window. What exactly do you inherit now that your uncle is dead? What kind of a cold, nasty question is that? the kind an inspector has to ask. Well, half of his business, if you must know. The other half goes to that flighty fellow, Merton. The inspector smiled. Thank you, Mr. Dawson, he said. I will see Mr. Merton now. As Merton drifted into the room, Dawson shot him a venomous glance. The inspector noted the malice in the young man's eyes with interest. 
He wondered if Janet Lee would talk to Matthew Merton if she had been sent to summon him and not Dawson. Good evening, Mr. Merton, the inspector said. Evening, Merton said, glancing around. His bespectacled eyes rested with pity on the old man's body, then glided away aimlessly around the room. Can you tell me your movements between lunch and tea time today, the inspector asked. Yes, yes, Merton almost mumbled. I suppose you must know. Merton fiddled with his cuff, which was missing a button. All at once, the inspector remembered that the doctor who'd come to examine the body had told him that Merton was a widower. Had a son, too. The kid must be somewhere around the house, I suppose, thought the inspector. I wonder what he thinks of all this. Well, you see, Merton faltered. It's rather awkward. I mean to say, I was alone in my room from lunch till about quarter to three, and I don't think there's anyone who can vouch for me. The inspector looked sharply at him. Not a single soul could say that you were in your room the whole afternoon? Merton looked embarrassed. No, he stammered. No one. This one's a horrible liar, the inspector thought. Suddenly, the door burst open, and Janet Lee rushed in. Oh, he wasn't alone, she burst out. He was with me in the conservatory. The inspector raised his eyebrows. And what were you both doing in the conservatory? Well, I was, that is, we were... Merton looked helplessly at Janet. He was asking me to marry him, Janet finished, exasperated. Oh, the inspector really was shocked. Why didn't you say so from the first? Well, we haven't talked to Charlie about it yet, Janet explained. Charlie, the inspector looked confused. Yes, Merton answered. My son, Charlie. The light of understanding dawned in the inspector's eyes. Y you see, said Merton, we wanted him to be the first to know, and he's been listening at the door this whole time, so I'm sure he's heard us... Uh, well, it's out now. I see, said the inspector. Well, that's all I need from you, then. Just one last question. Did you happen to hear the piano from the conservatory? Merton looked perplexed. Why, yes, he said. I did. Janet nodded. Yes, I remember. It sounded like Jack was playing Chopin. For the whole hour until tea, the inspector asked. Yes, Janet said. I would have noticed if he'd stopped. Thank you, the inspector said. That's all I need from you just now. The two left the room. The inspector began to pace around the little study. He couldn't see it. The nephew seemed the most obvious suspect. He was in debt and stood to gain much by the old man's death. Merton and the girl were really right out of it, except that they might be lying to protect each other. But from what? It had to be the nephew. And yet, here were two witnesses who could gain nothing from corroborating his alibi, and yet they did hear the music continuously throughout the afternoon. The inspector stopped in front of Jacob Adamance's body and stared him squarely in the bullet hole. And what do you say, old man, he asked. Who gave you that red third eye? As if in answer... The inspector heard music drifting down the corridor toward him. 
He frowned. Could the young man really be playing? No, it was more like practicing the piano at a time like this. The inspector left the study and started down the hall toward the front room. The music got louder and louder. As he stepped into the large front room, the inspector almost fell over with wonder. He could hear the music clearly, but no one was sitting at the piano. What in the hell? he exclaimed. Then he noticed a movement, just behind the baby grand on the floor. The inspector approached and crouched down to see under the piano. There, sitting cross-legged on the hardwood, was a boy, about ten years old. This must be the child, the inspector thought. Charlie? The boy was fiddling with something on the floor in front of him. The music abruptly stopped. He fiddled again. The music started again. Only then did the inspector realize that Charlie was holding a small digital recording device. On the floor next to him was a professional-looking microphone and set of mini-speakers. Suddenly, the child looked up. The inspector felt a slight shock under the intensity of those young, gray eyes. He had thought that the child was just playing. But Charlie's gaze was deliberate. The inspector instantly remembered something his sister had told him when he'd naively remarked that her children were innocent. Innocent, she had explained. I suppose they are in their way. But they see the world more clearly than any adult I've ever known. You'd do well to ask one of my children to question some of your tough witnesses for you. They'd get the truth out of them faster than you would. He had never believed her until this moment. But Charlie just handed him the recording device and said, I think this answers your question. Used by We Are One Body Audio Theater with the permission of the licensor, granted under a copyrighted license agreement. First published in Gilbert Magazine, a publication of the American Chesterton Society. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theater.